Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. So glad to have you along for this ride. And we have a familiar voice joining me. He is Jason Cochran. He's the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show, Jason. Hello again. How are you? Good. Well, I'm I'm doing unusually well because I've been traveling, as have you. Uh, you know, it's funny, earlier in the summer, I think I said this, but being abroad for the first time, it like brought me back to life. I, I realized, you know, I, I, I am a traveler at heart. There is something about being peripatetic. It's my drug. It's my raison d'etre. And pandemic was hard for many reasons, but getting back out on the road has just been revelatory for me. I don't know. Am I-, I I totally agree. And I think for a while when I would, I would do these little trips after the pandemic, it'd feel like I was testing the waters. Right. But then uh, uh, three days ago, I, I achieved gold status at Marriott and silver status at Delta on the very same day. And I realized, oh no, no, travel's back. It's not like I'm taking baby steps anymore. I am really traveling again and it feels good. Well, actually, I'm actually, I'll be speaking next week at the Governor's Conference in West Virginia. I'm doing a speech for them on trends, and I've been looking at it, and you're right. In most destinations in the United States, travel is back to 2019 levels. And that's interesting because travel from abroad, uh, other countries coming here, that number is still down 35%. I think it's because the dollar is so strong that Europeans coming here just don't have the buying power they've had in in years past. But that means we Americans are really getting out there. We're really seeing our own country. We're seeing the rest of the world. We are back to traveling. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You were, uh, where did you go most recently? Now I know, but let's talk about it. (laughs) All right. Uh, We're going to be doing a series of both articles for Fromers.com and these interesting app road trips. I'll tell you more about them when they're about to come out, but we're creating some for California. And so I went to an area of California I've never been to before. I think the headline on the article and the road trip app is going to have to be the Redwood Empire and the Lost Coast. It sounds like sounds a great. boys' adventure series. Yeah, like the Goonies. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but that's we we went to Redwood National and State Parks, and we took probably the twistiest highway I've ever been on for days uh, to get there. But I, I saw some of the glories of California, and the interesting thing about this region is. It's much cooler in terms of temperatures than the rest of the state. When I was there, it was damn chilly. It was uh, down in the lower 50s, high 40s at night. And during the day, it, it barely broke 70 most days. Uh, you know, it makes the old song, The Lady is a Tramp, make sense. When she sings, hate California, it's cold and it's damp. Because <laughs> we always think of California as hot, but you know, the whole northern part where San Francisco is, they have a lot of, lot of chilly moments. Yeah, no. It, well, I was I was also pleased to be there because, or to learn about the temperature there, and to learn about the redwoods because 
I've been worried about them. They are these magnificent creatures, the oldest living creatures on earth, and I don't want them to go away because of climate change. And apparently, according to the rangers, they're not going to. Uh, They get 50% of their water from fog. Did you know mm. that, Jason? So that it's helpful. To yeah, get to, from the from the dew and from fog. It's like, uh, yeah, well, that's actually reassuring, isn't it? Because the rainfall hasn't been go- so great in California lately. Absolutely, and so they they get the water. Some of it, their leaves are specially shaped to both ingest the water from the fog and to kind of create funnels that cause the water to drip onto their roots. There's, I mean, there's so many mysteries surrounding these trees. That was kind of the fascinating thing for me, uh, going there. I mean, I've always, I've been to Muir Woods in the past, which is right outside of San Francisco, and you can see the redwoods there, but not not in, in great numbers and not in the density that you see them when you go farther north. But there's so many mysteries like they, we now know that the trees are communicating with one another their roots overlap and they send out signals and they can share nutrients. And there's something called tree nepotism or redwood nepotism. Arboreal? I don't know. Arboreal nepotism. Basically, the trees share more nutrients with the fellow trees that have more of their DNA. So often a tree will clone itself. That's why you often see groves of redwoods. Those are all related trees. But the original tree might also have mixed its roots with another tree, but it's going to give more of its nutrients to its offspring, if that makes sense. I love the idea of these giant trees communicating with each other in a language we can't understand. It feels very Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah. And the other, I mean, I I learned this all. I I took a wonderful ranger-led tour at uh, Redwoods National and State Parks. This is the only park in the U.S. National Park System where there were originally state parks there. And instead of those disappearing, they became this kind of united entity. So you have state parks within the national parks. And for years, you know, if a tree fell and part of it was in the state park and part of it was in the national park, different rangers would deal with different parts of the tree. Now they all work together. Uh, But I took a wonderful tour with a state ranger who also told me they didn't know until the 1970s that there was life at the top of the trees. They just thought there were leaves up there. And then in the 1970s, two scientists who were also rock climbers decided to scale these trees. And when they got to the top, they found critters that usually only are on the ground. They found voles and mice and weevils, and they even found algae up there from the nearby river that they have no idea how that got to the top of the tree. And they they realized after studying them for a while that a lot of these creatures that usually make their homes on the forest floor, but instead were in the canopy, probably these were creatures who had never stood on the forest floor. They didn't go up and down these trees. They went up once and bred up there. And then their uh, their relatives only lived up in the canopy. That is something. Yeah. So it was, it was really, it was magical. So we, 
We started the trip in the San Francisco area. We drove to Point Reyes National Seashore. Oh, yes. Which is, you know, you you drive, you're driving this kind of cloudy, moody coastline, and then you go to the uh, lighthouse and you realize why there has to be a lighthouse, because suddenly the the winds are howling and the fog is so thick you can barely see anything. And apparently that's how the weather is in this microclimate most of the time. Uh, and then you drive 20 miles away and you're suddenly in the sunshine. It, it just was bizarre. We also went to the Hog Island Oyster Company and learned all about oysters Jason, what percentage of wild oysters do you think get to maturity in the wild? Nowadays? Oh, I would think it was a very pitifully small number. So what would you guess? Three. Three percent? Nope. Yeah. Too high. Less than one percent. So all of the all of the oysters in the world nowadays are farmed. And we learned about how they're farmed and the different issues there are with them. And then we, we learned something incredibly valuable. I finally learned how to open an oyster. <laughs> so now I don't have to go out and eat oysters at restaurants. Now I can get them at home and I'll be able to open them. Well, shucks. <laughs> yeah. So Very that, helpful. Yeah. So that was fun. And we also did, so we, you know, I tried to be as wacky and Californian as possible. So I also went out of my way to try a spa treatment that only otherwise exists in Japan. Basically, it was this very Japanese-looking spa with a Zen meditation garden where you go first to clear your mind, and then you get totally naked, you put on a robe, and they take you into a room where there's basically a huge pile of mulch. They have cedar shavings and rice husks, and they mix them together, and the substances start to ferment. And it's the natural fermentation that makes them really, really hot. And so they bury you in this mulch for 20 minutes, and you just sit there and sweat. And every once in a while, somebody comes in to make sure you're still alive and put... Uh, cold compresses on your forehead. Uh, but it was, uh, it was very, very relaxing. I Where actually enjoyed it. That was in, a, a, it was called the Osmosis Day Spa and it was in Occidental Cal California. It's a little tiny town in the middle of, in the middle of the Northern, it, it, close to Point Reyes. So all of this will be on the road trip that you're putting together that we'll announce later on. Yes, absolutely. And we went to, let's see, where else did we go? We, we, we saw some of the most Victorian towns in all oh, yeah. of the United oh, States. Houses. Gorgeous little towns. Beautiful. These incredible coastal views, you know, overlooking water that's so frigid cold, you can't go into it. It's, it's a very different part of California. You think of California as being a place where everybody's in a bikini on the beach, but you can't do that in this region. The, the waters are too frigid and, and the elements are too extreme. Um, 
saw it's a very big state but as you're saying there's a lot of variety in it people like to say you can start the day surfing and end the day skiing if you plan it right yeah saw the russian settlement the russians settled in this area to try and grow food for their settlements in alaska that's why places in northern california have names like russian river uh um, oh, i didn't know that yeah there were actual russians there and what else uh Monte- Montecito was beautiful. Um, it just it just tootled around. And we ended up in wine country. We went to Healdsburg. I've been pronouncing that wrong sure. for ages. And I learned something very important. Well, not important, but you can no longer just drive up to a winery and taste wine. They're all requiring advanced reservations. Is this a COVID thing that's just stuck? I think it's a COVID thing that's just stuck. I started looking mm-hmm. at the website, web different websites of places I wanted to visit the morning I was going to drive and visit them, and I realized I couldn't get into half of them. I, I finally got to one winery, a play, really wonderful place called Aperture, that just started about a year ago, and very interestingly, they're going to be the only ones in Healdsburg growing Cabernet. Most of the other wineries grow Pinot, but Pinot grapes need hot days and cool nights. And so they decided to go with Cabernet because they don't think because of climate change, it's just not getting sufficiently cool at night anymore. Uh, So uh, they think they will soon be in the majority rather than one of the only ones to grow this type of grape. So I went there. Well, happily, I like that. I like Cabernet more. So that's great for me. Me too. And I went to the Francis Ford Coppola Winery, which you don't need a sure. reservation for, which is like a little mini museum. He's apparently sold it, but he's still going to allow them to display all of his Oscars. You see the desk from The Godfather, although they don't let you pose behind it. Uh, <laughs> you should have you, made them an offer they couldn't refuse. They I should have. I should have. And you see different, like uh, Robert Duvall's boots from Apocalypse Now. And Robert Duvall, is he very tiny? He had the smallest boots. I was really surprised at the size of his boots. Really <laughs> teeny this is tiny. A topic I did not think I could research before this uh, <laughs> podcast came out. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the great thing about going to that part of California is I thought it was just going to be trees, trees, and more trees, but you really see different things every day. There's so much interesting history. There's so many wacky entrepreneurs. Uh, I, I went to a spa in uh, uh, Ukiah, California, that's been around since 1860. And we lay in these ancient kind of uh, uh, copper beds that were stained like crazy because of the mineral water that's been coming into them. And this was Jack London's favorite place to go hang out. And in the communal tub, I met a guy who was making CBD-infused vodkas. And I was like, wow, I'm really in California. So, (laughs) By the way, we say often on Fromers.com that the state parks in California are just as good as, or, you know, on a par with the national parks. And it sounds like that you found that to be the case as well. Because in other states, a state park is like a picnic table and a 
trash can made out of a metal drum, you know? But in California, like you're saying, they're cut from the exact same cloth. Well, the Avenue of the Giants, which we also uh, drove along, is all state park. And, you know, really just- Hard to go wrong. Hard to go wrong. And I I now have so many pictures of trees. (laughs) But- it's just a beautiful place. You know, the Japanese yeah, just not any trees, not trees. The the Japanese have a, a word for this type of travel. When you go into a forest and you walk, they call it forest bathing. And I always thought that was kind of a cutesy, maybe almost stupid term. But when you're there in these forests with everything covered with moss yeah, and, you and hear the, the dripping fog everywhere. all around, and yeah. it really did feel like my whole self was being immersed in this destination. It was deeply, deeply relaxing and interesting and uh, a, a really great place to go. So that's yeah. where I was. So when can you expect to read this or see this road trip? How how long in the future? Oh, says my editor. Says the editor of Froberstock.com. <laughs> I don't know. Two I, months, it, three months? It'll be, it'll be, it'll be, this it'll, fall it'll be on it'll be on Fromers.com within the month. Definitely. Well, yeah. well, we'll have to alert people when that comes out. Absolutely. All right. So where were you, Jason? I most recently took a trip on a brand new cruise ship by Norwegian Cruise Line called the Prima. This is the first cruise ship that this company has launched since COVID. Mm. They have five more ships in the pipeline. It's it's incredible when you think about how up against the wall the cruise industry was because of COVID. Now they're just coming out guns blazing, billions upon billions of dollars being invested. And uh, it's a brand new class of of ship, as I was saying. It's a little smaller than the previous class, so it can go into more places because when you have a smaller ship, smaller ports near the center of town become more available. It's not a small ship. So about 3,200 people, passengers. But uh, they were so excited about this thing, you know, this brand new ship that they got Katy Perry, the wow. rock star, pop star, to come and not just be the godmother and christen it, but to perform in the little 722 whatever seat theater on the cruise ship. So was that she was amazing? pretty incredible. I, I could see in her eyes, because you could see her eyes at 700 seats, you're practically huh. in her lap. That she was warming up. She, I don't think she knew what to do at first because she's used to playing stadiums in Vegas, and and she's starting to realize, oh, this is intimate, and I like it. You know, huh. and I'm, I can, I can read my, you know, whatever I'm doing. I don't have to play to a half a mile away. I just played ten row twenty rows back. So at one point, she goes to the audience, and all the bankers and the architects for the ship <laughs> and the marketing people were in seventh heaven. I don't know how much they paid to get her to come do this, but they loved it because they, you know, here's Katy Perry. I'm on, I'm on, she brought Orlando, her husband, Orlando Bloom, who was speaking of, he was in Lord of the Rings, and their, her kid. And uh, I think she brought Allison Janney, the actress. Apparently, they're oh. friends. Who knew? Okay. But it was a lot of fun uh, to, to sort of see. Um, it, normally, often when we do these cruises as promers.com, we'll go on and no one special is on. We're getting to know the ropes of the cruise ship on our sure. own so we can tell people what they're like and what to not do and what to do. In this case, it was a celebration of the industry that COVID was behind us, hmm. or at least the worst parts of COVID. And you could feel that that everybody was just partying because they were so glad to be through the tunnel. And then look at we, what we made after all we've been through. We made this incredible ship. This all went down in Reykjavik, Iceland. Huh. Reykjavik, Iceland in August is a great time to go. You don't see the Northern Lights because there's not enough darkness. 
but you know the weather is pleasant enough it's in the 60s or 50s that you can go do things all day long and feel quite comfortable so it was a great time uh to be there to do that then the ship left with Katy perry and orlando aboard we went uh didn't see them very much by the way they were in their suite with their baby so they were they were on board the whole trip. They were on board. The last oh. time I did one of these with Norwegian, Kelly Clarkson came and christened the thing, but then she skedaddled. She didn't get on. She went back home. Right. So we didn't we stay with her, but Katy Perry stayed on board. God bless her. You know, she's just like us. And then uh, we <laughs> went, to, you know, a couple of days at sea, we went to, uh, to Ireland, to Cork. We went to a town called Weymouth, which is a pretty uh, beachy town on the southern coast of England. Uh, we went to La Havre on the northern coast of France, which is right, quite near Normandy and the D-Day beaches. And we ended up in Amsterdam. And that was spectacular, too, because this cruise ship, although it is smaller than their previous ships, it's still 18 decks tall. But we took that long North Sea Canal all the way into the middle of Amsterdam. We're wow. sailing past Central Station on the, I think it's called the Ege. What's that? Where that I, I don't know how to say it. It's I-J. And it's that northern, uh, that, that strip of water that's north of Amsterdam town, but it's right up against it. It's not the Amstel River, but the other one. Um, and we, it was just, it was quite, I mean, we turn around in the middle of Amsterdam Harbor. It was something. Hmm. We had a great time. Well, the I want itself, it is interesting, but we can talk about that. Too. Okay. Yes. I, so I'm going to, I want to unpack what you've talked about. And I, that's such a silly phrase, but we're talking about travel. So we might as well pack and unpack the ship. How was it? How did it differ from the other Norwegian ships? Will it be the model for the five that are in the... In yes, it will be a model. Okay. What they're going for is something a bit more upscale. They're increasing the number of suites that they're going to sell to people. The decor is you know, quite swishy and fancy. They're trying to make it look more, more and more like one of those truly upscale luxury cruise lines, like a like a seaborne or a regent. So if you don't know your cruise lines, Norwegian's kind of middle of the pack. It's, you know, mom and pop suburbs. It's, you know, it's just like Royal Caribbean. It's like an average family on vacation will go on this. That's so there's a real calculation I, for them. I've always thought of them as more kind of middle to lower of the pack. I've always thought of them as more kind of on a par with Carnival. You don't think so? No, Carnival has its own niche. Carnival, mm-hmm. because of the ports that they choose and, you know, the, the decor is not often very differentiated from ship to ship on Carnival. It's more of a generic product. Uh, Carnival is more of a, I think people would perceive it more as a lower end or a working class type of ship. Sure. But Norwegian would be along the along par with um, class. with Royal Caribbean. Yeah. Um, and because the kinds of activities they have on board, for example, they have on the, the top deck, they have a go-kart speedway, three mm-hmm. levels of go-kart track. And, you know, it, you zoom right round and round and round and round for, you know, eight minutes at a time for, I think, like $30 or something. Ooh, it's um, not it takes free. Up a, no, it t- a lot mm. of that's the thing about this this new class of ships. You can tell that Norwegian has made the choice to offer more on all their ships, but there are lots of new ways for them to make money. Huh. So lots of activities, like you'll have the speedway, you have body slides that are, you know, they look like water slides, except you get on a, you get in a little kind of like a carpet to go down them in your normal clothing. You don't get wet. Huh. Um, but they, they drop down 10 lights down, down the sides of the cruise ship. Huh. Uh, you know, some of them are free. Some of them are not free of these little activities. Uh, they have, um, you know, a virtual reality arcade. So you don't get a bunch of pinball machines anymore. A lot of them are things where you have to put on goggles or there's an escape room or there's like um, a motion simulator capsule you get in. Like a far more elaborate version of what the arcade used to be when you were on a cruise ship. Hmm. 
Hmm. Uh, so they do think, and they have uh, grown the number of specialty restaurants. When we say specialty restaurants on cruising, that means the, the food, it's not free. Right. Most cruise lines, cruise ships these days on, in the middle, you get, you get on and you have four or five restaurants you can go to all the time. You'll have a buffet, you'll have a sit-down restaurant, maybe one or two more. They're all included in your fare. But then there's a whole bunch more restaurants that you have to pay a surcharge to enjoy. And that's where the food is more interesting. Often it's usually it's something that's more international than the generic you know, American stuff you'll see in the other restaurants. And in this case, they've upped the number of those, um, which will make it, I believe, a little more takes a little bit more work to use this ship because you've huh. got to plan out what you want to do on what night and when, and you have to make sure to secure all the reservations. So uh. it, we're, yeah. And they're moving everyone to apps, which their app isn't great at, at the moment, but they're is hoping to improve concierge? it. Is this more, more do this planning for involved? you or is it all on your shoulders or will travel agents do will this? Or... Travel agents can do a certain number of things, but a fair number of them you can't book until you get on the ship. You huh. have to do it yourself. Wow. For example, the performances. They also seem to be moving away. For a while, some of the cruise industry was doing Broadway shows, but like boiled down to an hour and a half without right. an intermission. And in some shows cases, that was an improvement. Kinky Boots kind of was great for 90 minutes. But they seem to be moving away from that and going just to either jukebox musicals, which are like, you know, uh, they did the Donna Summer musical, which is just Donna Summer songs with a little thin biography, you know, uh-huh. attached that was a Broadway show, but it's much more approachable. It's not a plot, right? Really to speak of. We can just enjoy the song. But the other thing is they've done is they've partnered with Fremantle Media, which is um, famous for television game shows. So there's a live version of The Price is Right you can play. There's huh. going to be a live version of Supermarket Sweep you can play. And all this is going to, is done in the same theater where the shows are done. So they've now redesigned the theater where you can pull back the seats in the orchestra or if you're British, the stalls. And now that bottom part, that middle part of the theater is now a floor you can use for other things. You can do dancing there at night as a disco, or you can do supermarket sweep there, which they'll do. So it's like more of like a multi-purpose room, like like your gym was in high school. Right. Um, that's a sort of a new innovation. They're using this room, the theater, from morning to night now with all sorts of different things, which is an interesting choice. Yeah. Is that just Norwegian or are other ships, sh- cruise lines doing this too? That, that this, seems... is, this is all what Norwegian is doing. And other cruise lines, the, sh- the theater is still generally the theater. You'll have right. talks there. You'll have performances there. Yeah. So that was an interesting choice. Pretty innovative uh, actually. Yeah. It is pretty innovative. I do think that if you're going on this ship for a, a suntan, it's going to be tricky because there's so much junk on the top deck, like the speedway and these slides and there's a little mini golf course that there's not much room for the pools. Oh, there's other another thing they're doing. They, I think, they're they're pitching towards a more luxury market. That's you know trying to get people to buy into the suites, which are called the Haven. But the, for the majority of the rooms are still standard rooms, and those still really aren't luxury. Like you can't say it's a luxury product and then use shampoo dispensers, you know, you know, b- built into the wall. That's not a luxury way to do your hair, right? Right. Or for example, if you want to go to the swimming pool. There's no robe. There's no you know sandals that you're you know, slippers that you can wear to the pool. You have to pack your own. That's huh. not luxury either. Right. So there's this interesting thing where they're pitching themselves as luxury, but the product isn't quite luxury, although it looks good. So I think there's still some some fine tuning to be done. But I I have a feeling that most people will enjoy all the bells and whistles that are on this ship. Now, I personally got a little bored because I'm not a big drinker, and a lot of the things that do seem to be built around drinking or eating. Huh. And that, to me, got a little old after a while. But if you're in a cruise ship drinking and cruise ship eating, then there's a lot to choose from. Is any? I mean, I guess people are into cruise ship eating. Oh, I yeah, always find that you know when you're ever and you're in a situation where it's a mass-produced food. 
the quality can only be so good. I, I don't know. I think that the food, while while not true luxury level, you would find in a Michelin starred restaurant on land. It was they they held their own quite well. Okay, you know, among the food, it, it wasn't just they'd slap the the slap the specialty name on it, charging thirty bucks, but you could have gotten the other restaurant. I, you could tell a difference between the care with the way things were plated and the density of the flavors. There huh. was. I, again, not not all the way luxury gourmet, right. but you can certainly tell a difference that it was a higher quality. Now, w- will the itinerary you did be a standard itinerary with them? That seems like unusual ports. No, that was just for the uh, inaugural, which is the cruise I that see, we took. I see. Eventually, it will be uh, later. I think another few weeks is coming to the U.S. I forget where it's going to be ported, hmm. uh, but you can look into it. The name of the ship is Norwegian Prima, P-R-I-M-A. Apparently, Norwegian is naming it ships like Italians now. <laughs> and they they must have some good singles cabins too. So this is not or no. so much on that. Yeah. They're huh. you know they're they were for a while when they were doing the epic and other ships, they were yeah. pushing more of the, the single stuff. Here the big push is for the, the suites. Interesting. Let me just quickly ask you about some of the destinations. What was your favorite port? I uh really enjoyed uh Weymouth, England. I, know I was surprised. About I didn't know Weymouth. much about it. Yeah, it's this cute little seaside city town, uh, and I liked it because the day I was there, it, it was probably seventy degrees. And uh, when when the weather is seventy degrees and it's nice in England, all the English people turn out in their bathing suits. <laughs> you know, they, Floridians <laughs> would like put on their fur coats, but the British are all getting sunburned on the beach. And it was alive. It was a fun fair feeling. There were kids playing in the sand. It was just. You could tell so many people from the surrounding countryside had poured into Weymouth on the day we were there. And that's what made it so fun to see the, the British having such a great time as the summer comes to a close. Right. I found an old pub to go to. I went to the town of Dorchester, uh, which is about 20 minutes train right away and, and took, took a look. It's an old market town. Just took a look around. That's what I like to do. Uh-huh. So I loved that. But, you know, I also went to the town of Honfleur, which is on the northern coast of France near Le Havre. Now, Le Havre was bombed to smithereens in World War II, and so it was rebuilt in a very brutalist concrete favorite uh. style. But Honfleur, which is just, you know, kind of across the water from it, is an old school, barely touched medieval style port town that the artists used to love to go to, the painters. Huh. So and it, and it feels like that. It's very boutique because the tourists go, and so all the shops are, you know, art and fancy soaps. But it was still quite beautiful. Uh, and if you have a, people who are listening who have been to Honfleur will vouch for me. It's not too far away um, from Rouen uh, on the northern coast of France. So you could so, see uh, the- a very pleasant place to be. Mm-hmm. The famous cathedral there and the places I, that- I had, that was one of the options for uh, the day tours, which uh-huh. I took Honfleur instead of Rouen. But you, I don't know, if, you, if it stops again, they might combine the two because they are combinable. And you ended up in Amsterdam. Uh, my daughter was just there and she didn't, she talked last week on this podcast. And just for anybody who's just hearing this podcast at the end of this podcast, when you hear the song, that's my daughter, Veronica, uh, singing and, uh, with her band melt and they're going to be touring all over the U S. Okay. That's the end of my commercial. Um, they're, they're a cool band, by the way. I vouch for this. Uh, she felt Amsterdam was a bit gritty as a young woman there she didn't feel all that safe the whole time. I see it. Because if you stay in the town or the part of town near the central station, Tavallen, the old part, it can be, you know, where kids come in to have, I saw a street fight when huh. I was there at 530 in the afternoon. But for the further away you get from Tavallen and, and the red light district, 
the more pleasant past the canals that radiate out after your third or fourth canal, it starts to get a much more pleasant. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it can be a bit party central. And part of the problem is, you know, kids are still doing the the wacky brownies there. It's still a thing. <laughs> sure. They've been cracking down and, and, the, and the street fights and the grittiness that your daughter talked about are part of the reason why they're cracking down huh. on just the easy availability of the edibles. Right. Because uh, it just creates trouble. Not right. because they have any moral disapproval of it. They just don't like what results it brings them. And so but what, yeah, I could see that if you stay away from that center part of town, if you're worried about the grottiness, because that is sometimes the case. Well, you posted some gorgeous photos on the Fromer's Instagram. What, what were, what was your impression of Amsterdam this time around? How has it come out of the yeah. pandemic? Every time I'm in Amsterdam, I walk around and I think, boy, am I sorry I don't come here more often. It's so pleasant. And there, everyone seems to understand what a pleasant lifestyle is there. Hmm. And the days I was there, it was a weekend, it was 80 degrees, and everyone was out on boats or sitting on the water and having beer and whatever, and just having soup waffle and just really enjoying the afternoon in, in such a civilized, pleasant way. So I'm a big fan of Amsterdam. I think they've come through the pandemic extremely well. Interestingly, if people want to know, I saw no one wearing masks anywhere. Huh. It just is, it doesn't seem to cross their minds or maybe they, they have some different health protocol that tells them differently. Uh, but no, I just didn't see any, anywhere. It wasn't until I got back into the airport to go home, I started seeing masks again. Did so you... I think they've come out very well. Also, there's tons of gay rainbow flags everywhere. Because mm. I think the Dutch seem to have embraced that more as a statement of we're proud to be diverse. Huh. And so uh, gay pride was about a month ago, but their flags were still everywhere because people just love it and they support it and they love that it's a part of the Amsterdam culture. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig that about that society. Yeah. I think, I think they're, they, Did, they, uh, they, I know they have their issues like every society does, but that's sure. pretty cool. Did you try to do any of the tourist attractions? Cause Veronica was not able to get into the Anne Frank house or the Van Gogh museum because the city is so Reich tourist. Yeah. I know. And I got a same day reservation there. Cause you do need reservations just as you do for the Anne Frank house and yeah. you do for the Van Gogh museum. And I also went to the National Maritime Museum. I wanted to learn a lot more about the VOC, which is the East India Company. I've been reading uh. Uh, The Anarchy, which is a book about how the East India Company shaped the world. It's like the first giant corporation internationally. Sure. It was on Barack Obama's must-read list a couple of years ago, and it's a thick as a doorstop. And it's so interesting. And I went to the National uh, Maritime Museum to try to learn something about the VOC. And there was a replica of a VOC ship, but you learn very little. So huh. that was disappointing. Was the Reichs Museum? There is a lot of booty that they took home. The Reichs Museum has a lot of VOC booty in it. It's not just paintings and sculpture. There's huh. a lot of really great stuff. I've been, I've been trying to explain. The Reichs Museum is sort of like in the Smithsonian and the British Museum wrapped up in one. It's, a, it's an emblem of when, when the Netherlands was a naval, was a power around the world, both sure. the trade and in the Navy. This is where all the good stuff went. And so they've got a, a lot of incredible stuff from around the world that they've collected over the centuries in the Reichs Museum, and it's uh, worth your time. Did the fact that you had to have day of reservations mean that it wasn't too crowded at the Reichs Museum? Because when I've been there, okay. it's been crazy crowded. I didn't find it too disruptive. I found it a normal, busy day at the Reichs Museum. Finding a seat in the cafe was harder because huh. it was hot, and I wanted to get a quick drink, and I had to wait in line, and they had to seat me. They're still very COVID aware in the cafe. Like they're not sitting people across from each mm. other at the counter and stuff weirdly, but, um, but that was the only hard part. So make sure to carry some drinking water with you when you're at the Reichs Museum. One last question. Did you have a Reichstoffel meal? 
No, no, I had Snoop Waffle. I had Snoop Waffle. <laughs> I had several of them. Rice Waffle. I heard I had a lot of. Yeah, go ahead. Very quickly is, is a uh, an Indonesian style meal. I think it's really colonial Indonesian, but it was always my favorite meal whenever we went to Amsterdam as a kid. You and get- I did have a lot of a uh, of a uh, treats with Belgian mayonnaise on oh. top. Very Wait, nice. what's in the Riefstaffel? It's an elaborate thing, right? It's an elaborate feast with all of these little tiny uh, trays, of, and it's just delicious. It's been a while since I've had one, so I can't describe it in detail. But uh, for me, that's I was the walking ten miles a day, so I didn't want to sit for a long meal. I was doing a lot of handheld stuff because I was so excited to be in Amsterdam. Ah, oh, well, that's great. Well, welcome back, Jason. Uh, Thank you. And. Uh, as I always end this program by saying, we kind of started by gushing about travel, uh, and we'll end that way too. If you're traveling right now, bless you. It's a great activity. It's a life-affirming activity. And may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. No